Boy, it's good to be home. It's good to be back and, and hear that choir. Lord, have mercy. I don't like saying this, but I think everybody should leave for a month so you'll know what you're missing. <laughs> oh, my soul. Man, we should, we should thank God for what he's done here and what he has here. And what we get to experience every single week. Every single You know, sometimes when you, you're, you have something, you, you sometimes take, take it for granted because it's always there. And then you don't realize what you have till it's not there. And uh, man, God has done such an incredible thing here at Temple Baptist Church. I want to thank you for the time that you give me and my family and, and, uh, and what a blessing it is. I, I don't want to make this about me. Uh, and, and I didn't even want to say anything cause I knew I'd get emotional, but, uh, thank you. Uh, thank the staff. They were incredible. Uh, I try to sneak up here and they'd run me off. <laughs> You're not supposed to be here. I said, I'm not working. I'm just seeing how y'all are doing. <laughs> you gotta go. You gotta go. I snuck in at four. This is the truth. God's my witness. I snuck in at four o'clock one morning and they caught me on the, the surveillance camera. I'm telling you, but I want to thank all of you guys, all of the, the, the prayed for our family and, and, uh, the blessings you gave just everything. Uh, I, I heard brother Doug, uh, preach about me coming out of the wilderness like Elijah. And I'm thinking, Oh dear God, I'm not, I'm going to do that. I've been looking for a camel hair coat all week, brother Doug. Uh, we're going to, we're going to begin we're going to begin in the book of Mark. Uh, we just a few months ago we we got through with Matthew, and uh, and this month as I was praying, what where do we need to go? Where do we need to go? And God said, right on into Mark, right on into Mark. So today uh, we're going to start. So if you have your Bible, I want you to take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter number one. And uh, we're going. And now honestly, honestly, uh, I, I wanted to come in here uh, wild eyed and and real preachy this morning. Uh, but as I studied what we're going to be looking at, we're going to look at the intro to Mark and it's really more informational than it is inspirational. It's not real preachy. Uh, but man, the more you learn about the author of that book, uh, it will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. I promise it will. So, uh, we're going to dive right in. We're going to read one verse, one verse, Mark one, one. If you're glad to be here, say amen. Let's look at this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Let's, let's read that. Everybody read that. You ready? Number one, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. One more time. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Let's pray. Dear heavenly father, Lord, it is so good to be here. It is so good to be in your presence and in the presence of your people. Lord, the, the singing was so wonderful. Lord, we thank you for being faithful to us, even when we haven't been faithful to you. God, I pray right now that you'll help us today. As we, we, as we learn, as we study, as we look at the introduction to this book, God, I pray that you'll use it to, to help us to increase in our, our knowledge of you, to help us increase our knowledge of the word, but Lord, to apply it to our life and use it for your glory. 
Lord, your glory is the only thing worth working for and serving for and living for. And God, we want to glorify you in everything we do and everything we say today. Holy Spirit, guide my mind, guide my words and my thoughts. Don't let me say anything I'm not supposed to. I pray, Lord, that you'll help me to to, to speak in such a clear way that the youngest person in this room can understand what is being taught and said. God, we'll be careful to give you all the credit and all the glory. Don't let me say anything I'm not supposed to. And don't let me forget anything I need to. And God, we, we love you and we thank you and we glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> you may be seated. The book of Mark is one of the synoptic gospels, which means synonymous. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then you have John's gospel, Johannine doctrine. Uh, Mark is a little different than all four of them, though. Uh, as you go and you study this, you'll find out that it's the, it's the shortest gospel of all four gospels. Uh, and it, it, is, it is written in a way that is like a newspaper proclamation or a newspaper article. You, as, we, as you remember, as we went through Matthew, Matthew focused a lot on what Jesus said. Say that with me, on what Jesus said. What he said. Uh, a lot of theology there, a lot of doctrine, a lot of teaching Matthew focused on. Well, Mark's way different. Mark's way different. His is more not what Jesus said, but what Jesus did. What Jesus did. And it's really fast paced. I mean, it just goes just like this. It, you'll, you'll hear the word and a lot. You'll hear the word immediately a lot. You'll hear the word straightway, which is basically the same as immediately. And it's kind of like this. I, I, when, I'm reading, when I'm reading the Bible and looking at it, I'm, I'm putting in my mind the author of the book and how he's wanting to present it. And it really seems, how many of y'all have ever had a, a young child come up to you or, or a grandchild come up to you and they're trying to tell you something and they get so excited about what they're saying, they say this and they just keep, and, and, and this happened, and then, and, and this happened, and then, and then this happened. And how many of y'all know what I'm talking about? That's the book of Mark. You're going to see it. It's very fast paced. Most of the book, listen, really all of the book was written for illiterate people. We're going to learn later on that, that Mark is writing to the Gentile crowd, the, the, the Gentile believers in Rome, and, and the majority, if not all, were illiterate. So this was written in a way to read out to people and say, let me tell you about this, and then let me tell you about that. Let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you. If y'all are with me, say amen. amen. And so it is a very, very fast paced. And this is really, to be honest with you, this is my kind of reading. Are y'all with me? I like them real thin and small and get to the point. Say amen. That's Mark. That's the way he wrote it. That's the way that he is bringing it. Very fast paced, uh, uh, very informational. Now, Now, here's the first thing I want you to look at. Number one, let's talk about the author just a minute. When you understand, when you understand the author, the second century apologist, Justin Martyr, described Mark's gospel as the memoirs of Peter. And you'll, we're going to see later on how, how much of an influence that, that Peter had in his life and in his teaching. It says it suggested it was composed by Mark in Italy. 
And later Christian leaders like Irenaeus, Origen, and Clement of Alexandria echoed similar sentiments. The fourth century church historian Eusebius of Caesarea suggested that Mark wrote his gospel at the request of Peter's hearers. Now watch this. A great light of religion. Now, now let me say this so, so you understand how it's gotten to Rome. Mark was taken to Rome by the apostle Peter because he knew Latin and Peter didn't. All right, how many of y'all remember this, what it said about the fishermen? They were unlearned and ignorant men. Peter didn't know the language, so he brings Mark with him, John Mark with him, uh, to be a translator, to be a helper there. And now watch what's said. A great light of religion shone on the minds of the hearers of Peter so that they were not satisfied with a single hearing or with the unwritten teaching of the divine proclamation. But with every kind of exhortation, they entreated Mark, whose gospel is still in existence, seeing that he was Peter's follower, to leave them a written statement of the teaching given them verbally. Nor did they cease until they had persuaded him, and so became the cause of the scripture called the gospel according to Mark. And they say that the apostle, knowing by the revelation of the spirit to what he had done, was pleased at their zeal and ratified the scripture for study in the churches. Now, I want you to, if you have your notes in front of you, I want you to flip your notes over for just a second and then we'll come back to page number one. Because we, before we go any further, you need to understand what God says about his word. Paul says it and Peter says it. Paul, 2 Timothy 3, 16. If you're, if you're looking at that at the top of your page, say amen. amen. All scripture, how much? All. All scripture is given by what? Inspiration of God. Inspiration of God. That word means God breathed. God breathed. These men were writing these gospels, but it was God breathing into their mind and breathing into their heart what he wanted them to say. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Now watch this. Watch what Peter says. First or second Peter one twenty one. for the prophecy came, the scriptures came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were what? Moved by the Holy Ghost. So the reason I threw that in there, I didn't have enough room on, I wanted to put it on page one, but I had to squeeze everything together. And, and here's what you need to understand. God used human penmen to write the gospels out for you. They were written by these men, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but they were inspired, they were moved, they were directed. Every single word they wrote, God gave them to put it down. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen. Now, now, with that being said, I just wanted to make sure everybody's got, well, this, is, this was written by men. It was written by men, chosen by God, inspired by God, moved by God, and given the words to say, that means every word of it is true. Amen. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Now, let's look at the, let's look at the author. Let's look at it. You're going to be really encouraged by this. I was, I was, I was really encouraged when I learned about this man. Uh, and, and you'll see what I mean in a minute. First of all, if we're going to go through, and by the way, let me say, I got so much I want to tell you. I keep saying, wait, wait, wait a minute. Uh, nowhere in this gospel does it say Mark wrote it. It didn't say it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Now there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. These writers wanted the emphasis and all the focus 
to be on the one they were writing about. It's not about Matthew. It's not about Mark. It's not about Luke. It's not about John. It's all about Jesus. Even John, even John, when he was writing, he said, he didn't even, he didn't even put his own name in it. When it was in reference to him, he said, let me tell you about the one, the disciple that Jesus loved. In other words, what he's saying, it's not important. It's that you, you don't even need to know my name. You just need to know that I was loved by Jesus. And so when we look at this, when we look at this, we want to understand that the focus is on the Messiah. It's on Jesus Christ. But when we look at the author, here's the first time we find him. The first time we find him is in the book of Acts. We've got to go to the book of Acts to find the first mention of John Mark. Now, we see he's got two names, John Mark. John, Johannan is his English name, his Hebrew name, his Jewish name. And Marcos, Marcos or Mark is his Latin name, all right? And so that's why you have John Mark. We see his Hebrew name and his Latin name. Now, where do we find him? The first time we find him is in the book of Acts. How many of y'all remember about halfway through the book of Acts, you find Peter is arrested by Herod Agrippa I. How many of y'all remember that? They, 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 killed, they killed James, the brother of John, and now they've arrested Peter right? They've arrested Peter and they're going to kill him too. They've got him in prison. He is laying in prison and he's chained to two soldiers and God moves and sends an angel and has to, in this, I like this. He has to kick Peter in the side to wake him up. Boy, he's tore up about it. Amen. He's going to die the next day, but God's giving him so much peace. He has to wake him up. Peter, he, he gets up, the chains fall off of his arms. He walks out of the prison, gets out of the gate. And then the, the, the angel disappears and he realizes I'm free. This is not a dream. This is real. And so what does he do? The Bible says while Peter, while Peter is in prison waiting execution, that the church is praying without ceasing for him. Are y'all with me? Say amen. They are praying without ceasing for him. Now, where are they praying? They are praying at John Mark's mama's house. Are y'all with me? They are praying at his mother's house. She is most likely a wealthy woman. Uh, she has servants and, and it is recorded that, that she is in the house, ministers to them, was very much used in the early church. And, and some scholars speculate that it was in this room, in this house, where the Last Supper was, where the Lord's Supper was. Now, that's not, we can't be dogmatic about that because we don't have 100% proof, but many scholars believe that that's the case. All right. But here we find Peter. Peter goes to the door. Y'all remember, knocks on the door. The servant girl comes and, and realizes it's Peter. It's who all of them in the house are praying for, Right. And, and they go, she goes back, doesn't even let him in. She runs back to the crowd that's praying for him and says, hey, Peter's outside. And they said, no. <laughs> Boy, that's faith, isn't it? Listen, no, no, no. She says, I'm telling you, Peter. And he's steady out there knocking, right? And they finally let him in. This is John Mark's mother's home. So what do we learn from that? we learned that he as a young man is very familiar with the apostle Peter. 
Peter knows about him. He knows about Peter. He's very familiar. Later on, we're going to learn that Peter calls John Mark his son. So it's a great possibility that Peter himself won John Mark to Christ. Are y'all with me? Say amen. So in the author, write this down. First, we see his mother. We see his mother. The influence she had. She allowed the church to use her home as a place of worship, as a place of prayer. Uh, and and what, what can we learn from that? What, th- really, this is really more of an informational type sermon. But what can we learn from that? Hey, be careful who you let around your children. And make sure you, you, you put people around your children. This is a godly influence. And keep them in church. Say amen. So we see his mother. Then B, write this down. We see his ministry. We see his ministry. Where do we find that? Well, right after, right after chapter 12, we find at the end that Paul and Barnabas. Now, uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas comes on the scene. They had just come from Antioch with an offering because the prophet had told them that there was going to be a famine. And so they raised money in Antioch and they went to Jerusalem and they gave them the offering. And now Paul and Barnabas, by the way, Barnabas is, is John Mark's uncle. Okay. Barnabas is John Mark's uncle. They take and they go back to Antioch where really the headquarters for the second part of the book of Acts takes place. Jerusalem is the headquarters for the first part of the book of Acts and where uh, the primary ministry is in Jerusalem and Judea and then Antioch becomes the headquarters. Peter is the main character in the first half. Paul is the main character in the second half where it goes to the uttermost parts of the earth. Say amen right there. And now Uncle Barn and Paul takes young John Mark to Antioch to be with them. Are y'all following me so far? I'm, you're going to have to listen fast. Say amen. amen. Now they get to Antioch. They get to Antioch. And while they were there, according to the next chapter, according to the next chapter, we find that God decides to pull out Paul and Barnabas and send them on the first missionary journey. Now watch this. This is what I want you to get. And this is the thing I, I, I seen earlier. Look, look what it says. It says in Acts chapter 13, verse five. And when they were, excuse me, let me, let me go back. Turn, turn in your Bible to Acts chapter number 13. I want, you, I want you to see this. It says in verse number one. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers. Say that with me. Certain what? Now, now these people... Prophets and teachers are what a lot of people think are the big dogs, the important people, right? Those who usually get most of the recognition. Now watch, watch what, it, watch, they start naming them. Barnabas, Simeon, uh, Lucius, Cyrene, Manian, uh, Saul, who was not mentioned? John Mark. All right, all of them were prophets and teachers. So what does this teach us? What does this teach us? Was Paul, or excuse me, John Mark, was he a preacher? No. Was he a teacher? No. Was he a prophet? No. You say, what in the world was he? He was a helper. He was a helper. Now watch, I'm going somewhere with this. I I know y'all don't think I am, but I'm going somewhere with this. Look what it says. 
It says in Acts 12, Acts 12, Barnabas and Saul took Mark with them, Acts 13, 5. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister. You say, what was John? He was a PA. He was a personal assistant. Some scholars believe he was a personal assistant to four different, very, very important men. Paul, Barnabas, Luke, and, uh, uh, and, and the apostle Peter. Now, what did he do? He helped. What did he do? Maybe he made food. What did he do? Maybe he carried their luggage. What did he do? Whatever it was, he was a helper. You know what I, you know what I learned as I was reading over this and listening to sermons? I listened to several, several sermons on the book of Mark and, and I, I realized this. Man, every single week somebody stood in this platform and did a phenomenal job. And I realized, listen, I am dispensable. But you know what we can't do here? We can't do anything here without all the helpers. All the helpers. Now the helpers don't get much credit. The helpers don't get much highlight. They don't get much uh, 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 vision. They, they're not up on this platform. Sometimes when people go to church, listen, they'll, they'll look and see what's on the platform. And, 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 and a lot of times the singers get recognition and, and, and well, the poor band don't hardly ever, but they need it. Lord Jesus, they practice as much or more than anybody else. And, and they, listen, but sometimes they get recognition. But you know what? There's not a whole lot of recognition sometimes to the one who's changing the nasty diaper in the nursery. The one who is just holding the door. The one who picks up the paper out in the parking lot that's thrown out. The one who's making the coffee. The one who gets here before everybody gets here and opens the door and turns on all the lights and makes sure the air conditioning's running. Thank God for the helpers. Thank God for the helpers. I have had evangelists come through here and and listen, they will will just sit in amazement and awe out in the foyer as people are going by 100 miles an hour like busy bees. And and this is what they say. How do you find such good? We got to have the helpers. We got to have the helpers. You are important. You are important. You say, preacher, I don't have a big job. Every job is big. Every job is important. Thank God. That's the one thing I, I, listen, as I was reading this and looking at this, I was, I was imagining all the helpers at Temple. We could not do anything without all the helpers. We see his ministry. Then, then, then see, write this down. Write this down. Oh boy. We see his mess up. We see his mess up. Listen, the Bible says that in that first missionary journey, <clears throat> in Acts chapter number 13, that Paul and, and Barnabas, they saw how important it was and how, how, what kind of a blessing that John Mark could be. And so John Mark is taken with them on that first missionary journey. But like most missionary journeys, when you're really going to the unreached, you'll find out it's very difficult. It's very hard and you're going to have pushback and you're going to have obstacles in the way and you're going to have issues happen. It's going to become dangerous. The traveling is going to become dangerous. It's going to be difficult. Now, we don't know because it does not say. We don't know the exact reason. 
We don't know what it was that maybe, maybe John Mark was still young and nervous. Maybe he was scared. Uh, maybe it was too hard of work. Well, I, we don't know. It does not say, and it doesn't really matter what it is. But the Bible says that he deserted. He deserted Paul and Barnabas. Instead of continuing them to the work, that's how Paul worded it, to the work, he went back to Jerusalem. And by the way, he didn't go back to Antioch. That wouldn't look real good if he have went back to Antioch and said, oh, I just couldn't take it. So what does he do? He runs back to Jerusalem. And some, some have wrote it this way, that he ran back to Mama. I heard it. I, y'all was thinking it. He goes back to Jerusalem. Now, you say, well, that's not that big a deal. Maybe he couldn't go. Whatever it was, it was such a big deal that it was brought up again. You see later on, and we'll get to that in a minute, later on, uh, Paul and Barnabas decided we're going to go check out all the churches that we started on the first missionary journey. And here was John Mark again. And old Uncle Barnabas said, hey, let's take John and he, he let, let, let's take him this time around. And Paul says, oh, no, this is chapter 15. It's right there in your notes. He said, no, we are not taking him. He deserted us one time. He'll desert us. And I mean, it was, the Bible says that it was such a sharp argument. I mean, this was not just a disagreement. This was a, this was a serious, serious, knockdown, drag out argument. And it was such a divisive issue that Barnabas went one way. And the apostle Paul went another way. Imagine that. Imagine doing something in such a way that it divided probably one of the greatest missionary combos that's ever been. Boy, he messed up. He messed up. Now, preacher, why, why are you really focusing on this? Because you need to understand. Why would God use somebody that messed up like that to write scripture? Guess what? That's all there is. That's all there is. Say, preacher, I'm a helper. Yeah, but you're, you're, you mess up too. We're going to mess up. But guess what? Your mess up doesn't have to define your future. Are y'all with me? Let me say this. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to drop the ball. You're going to, you're going to, you're, you're not going to fulfill everything like maybe you should have. And things are going to happen in life that you regret. How many of y'all, how many of y'all in here have things in your life you regret? Be honest. Don't lie. How many of you have things in your life you hope nobody finds out about? Look around people. Look around. He messed up. He messed up. But look here. Look at, look at C. Maybe that was C. How about D? How about D? I want you to see. What was A? Let's, let's, re, let's rehearse these real quick. We see his. B, his. C, his. Then D, his mentor. His mentor. Guess who was, guess who was at Jerusalem? Good old Peter. Look at this. 1 Peter 5.13, the church that is at Babylon... Elected, and, and, and it's used, the word Babylon is used for Rome because they were under such persecution and Nero had come, he had come to power and he was persecuting Christians, burning them at the stake, you know, feeding them to lions, doing all of these things that they used code words, used code words in their writing. 
He says, the church that is at Babylon elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth what? Marcus, my, my son. Preacher, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. A helper messed up. He goes back to Jerusalem, but thank God at Jerusalem, there is a mentor there who knew, watch this now, this is good, who knew something about messing up. You say, what are you talking about? How many of y'all remember? I don't know the man. How many times did he say that? Can we say that Peter messed up royally? Why do you think Peter wrote in his scriptures, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is as a roaring lion who roameth about seeking whom he may devour. You know why he wrote that? He still had teeth marks in his, yeah. If there was anybody that knew something about messing up, it was the apostle Peter. And you know what he did? He brought in John Mark and he mentored him and he worked with him and he spent time with him and he worked with him and taught him and helped him and let him know this is not the end of the world. I know Paul ain't real happy with you right now, but it's okay. He'll get over it. I can imagine these conversations happening and he worked with him. Now, what can we learn from that? What can we learn from that? Be careful who you give up on too soon. Be careful who you give up on too soon. Be careful on the helper that messed up that you think God has done with. Let me say that again. Be careful that you don't write off the one who you think God has done with. Because I'm fairly positive that there was a lot of disciples that when Peter did what he did, thought that's it for him. Let me say this, including Peter. Why do you think when Jesus rose from the dead, he said, I want you to go tell my disciples and Peter. All right. We see his mentor. Then write this down. We see his mending, his mending. Look at this. What happens? We find after a while, some say about 10 years, 10 years goes by. And we see that Paul, he has a little different different change of heart. He says in Colossians 4.10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. Now, by the way, this is, Paul is writing Colossians in his first incarceration in Rome. Now you may not know this, but Paul was incarcerated twice. The first time he was let go for a while and then he was arrested again. And the second time is when he was executed after that. So this is during his first prison incarceration. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you and, come on, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas. Now, preacher, what are you saying? Who was with Paul in the prison ministering to Paul? Who was it? John Mark. John Mark. Now, watch this. Watch this. Second, second, uh, second prison incarceration. This is what, this is what Paul says. Only Luke is with me. This is, this is Paul writing to Timothy. He says, take Mark and bring him with thee. Read it with me. For Now keep in mind, this is coming from the same one that says, over my dead body is he going to go with me. 
I'm not taking him anywhere. I wouldn't take him to the bathroom. Same guy. Ten years later, after somebody doesn't give up on him, after somebody spends some time with him, after somebody works with him and mentors him and, and, and helps him along and, and strengthens him and reinforces him, and I'll say this, disciples him. Yeah. Now Paul is saying a different tune. Paul's saying, hey, bring him here because he is, what's that word? He is profitable. Everybody say, he is you see, that one that you gave up on, he may be profitable. Amen. Don't quit. Don't give up on it. Listen, if you've messed up, don't quit. That's not the end of the story. If you've got somebody that you love, that you've tried to help, that they've messed up, don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. Look what he says in Philemon 24. Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my, this is Paul speaking, my what? Fellow labors, fellow labors. What do, we, what do we know about the author of this book? Well, he was a helper. He was a, excuse me, he was a helper. He, he messed up. He was mentored. He was encouraged. He was helped. And then God changed the outcome and mended the situation. And now he's an important part of the ministry of Paul. Number two, number two, let's look at the audience. Let's look at the audience. Don't worry, we'll get a little preachy in point three. It'll be all right. Y'all are not bored, are you? Okay, good, good, good. Number, number two, the audience. He is writing to Roman Gentiles, to Roman believers. Now, how do we know this? How do we know this? Well, there's several reasons that we can see in this book. First of all, there's no genealogies. Write that word down. There's no genealogy. If you will remember in Matthew and Luke, which were written specifically to uh, Jewish people, they were given the genealogies of Christ. Well, Paul, or excuse me, Mark doesn't even deal with that because Romans are really not going to care anything about Jewish history and Jewish genealogies. They just need to know what Jesus did. All right? That makes sense. Say amen. Then we find, then we find B, the Aramaic terms are explained. The Aramaic terms are explained. For instance, Mark 2 or 3.17. And James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, and he surnamed them, bon, bon, uh, you, whatever how you, you want to say it. I have listened to my phone over and over and I still can't get it right, all right? Which is the sons of thunder? He gives a definition. Which is the sons of thunder? Mark 5, 41. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha Kumai, which is being interpreted? Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. So you see what he's doing? He's defining for them the Aramaic terms that are explained. Mark 7, 11. But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban. What does that say? That is to say. So he's describing it. He's explaining it. Mark seven thirty four. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, if half the, that is, be open. Mark fifteen twenty two, And they, be, they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which is what? Being interpreted the place of a skull. Does everybody see that? So every time he deals with something that's Aramaic uh, that they would not understand, he explains it to them. Said, this is what this means, okay? Then C, C. First we see there's no genealogies. He doesn't even deal with that, doesn't even cover any of that. 
The Aramaic terms are explained to his Gentile Roman hearers. Then see, he explains Jewish customs. He explains Jewish customs. Mark 7, 3. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. Now, why is he doing that? Because he's teaching them something and they're not going to understand why that's such a big deal. You see, if you were speaking to Jews and you talked about the tradition of the elders, everybody would know how significant that is. Everybody would know how important that is and how much of a big deal it is to follow tradition. Well, they didn't have that in Rome. These Roman Gentiles are not going to know anything about that. So Mark, when he gives something and tells something that Jesus did, he explains why the Pharisees were so mad about it. If that makes sense, amen. Now watch, Mark 15, 42. Now when the even was come, because it was a preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath. So he's explaining Jewish customs. But indeed, write this down. He includes fewer Old Testament references than any other synoptic gospel. He doesn't keep going back and quoting the Old Testament. Why why doesn't he do that? Why doesn't he do that? What do Romans not have? An Old Testament. If he was to, to quote it, if he was to quote a lot, they wouldn't know what he was talking about anyway. So he doesn't use that. He stays specifically on the actions and the deeds of the Christ. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Amen. Now, here's the best part. Here's the best part. Let's finish up with this. Let's finish up with this. What is the aim of the book? What is the aim of the book? We talked about the author of the book. We talked about the audience of the book. We know who wrote it, and we know and, and realize who he's writing to, right? What was he trying to accomplish? What was he trying to accomplish? Well, we see it, we see it in the very first verse, all right? That's why we only read one verse today. Everything, everything in the book of Mark is to to prove and to show you what he says in verse number one. Don't you like how some books how some books, they will, they, will, they will do their writing and they will, they will give you a little bit of information here and a little bit of information there and they'll, and they'll wait till the, and then they'll pop the conclusion. Not Mark. He, right off the bat, he says, this is it. This is the deal. This is what it's all about. Look at verse number one. Watch this. Y'all ready? Mark 1, 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Say it with me. Say it again. Say it again. Now watch this. This is so cool. <clears throat> I wish I was really good at making those uh, uh, pictures to put on the screen. But anyway, uh, we begin Mark. We begin Mark at the lowest place on earth. If you begin reading in in chapter number one, what do we find first? We find the forerunner. We find the messenger. We find the messenger, John Baptist. And what's he doing? Some of you guys, y'all went to Israel with me. You'll remember, you'll remember that the place we went to the authentic site. You know, they've got, they've got a couple sites in Israel. Uh, One is more religious and and it costs more. Say amen. 
uh, to be baptized in the Jordan River, but that's not the authentic site. You have to go into the wilderness. You have to go close to the Dead Sea to get to the authentic site of where John Baptist actually baptized Jesus. And, and we, we got to go there. And you know what? One thing we found is hot and it's the lowest place on earth. Now think about that. This means something. It's the lowest place on earth. And this is where Mark starts. He starts at the lowest place on earth. And if I had, if I could draw this on a picture for you, you will see that Mark starts there and he works his way up as he's going through his gospel to a pinnacle, to a, a, a climatic, a climactic conclusion at Caesarea Philippi, which is at the, one of the highest places in all of the nation of Israel. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Now, preacher, what does he say? He goes from the lowest of the low to the highest of the high. Now, what took place? What took place at Caesarea Philippi? If you, if you go with us to Israel, you'll, you'll be able to visit this place. There's a huge cave. There's a huge cave. And they had, they had two, uh, uh, two cultic religions there with two statues there. One of the Greek god Pan and the other of the Caesar. And both of these cults, both of these false religions were worshipped here at this particular spot. It was the very beginning of the Jordan River. The water came right out of the mountain and, and, and flowed through all the way to the Dead Sea. And Jesus takes his disciples at the two and a half year mark. He, he called his disciples to follow him. And y'all know that lasted three years. Three years, he walked with his disciples, and at the end of the third year, he was crucified. How many of y'all remember that? Say amen. At the two and a half year mark, okay, two and a half years of teaching, two and a half years of leading, two and a half years of healing and showing himself, showing his power, showing his ability, showing everything about himself. At the two and a half year mark, he gets his disciples together and he brings them to the highest place there in Israel. And he says, who do men say that I, the son of man am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist come from the dead. Some say you're a prophet. Some say you're Elijah. And, and they have all these things. And, and Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? Now think about this. Jesus spent two and a half years giving them information, giving them doctrine, giving them teaching, giving them experiences. He walked on the water. He healed blinded eyes. He healed lame legs. He raised the dead. He caused food to just appear out of nowhere. He fed thousands with one lad's life, walked on the water, calmed the storm so they could come to a conclusion. Who do you say that I am? Who do you, and by the way, guys, one day you're going to stand before God and he's going to ask you, who did you say he was? We're going to be judged by how we treated his son. Who do you say that I am? And what did Peter say? We believe thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus said, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my father, which is in heaven. This was it. This is what he worked for. This is what he lived for. This is what he did. Everything that he did in those two and a half years was to lead to this revelation to get them to understand who he was. And this is the pinnacle. This is the pinnacle of the book of Mark. He is the son of God. This one you sing about, this one that you say you worship, this one that you say you follow, he is God's son. And from the very beginning, Mark says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, this is who he is. Now let me prove it. He did this and straightway he did that and immediately he did that. And again, he did this and he went over there and he did this and this. And man, let me tell you, I can imagine him writing this how I feel right now. When I got up here, I just had so much I want to tell you. And then I just get, you know, and, and then and this happened. What was it for? What was it for? What is the book of Mark for? So you would be convinced so you would be convinced and convicted that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And all God's people see it. As we go through, and we're going to get in a meet next, next week. We're going to talk about the messenger. We're going to talk about John Baptist. You know, But this is what I want you to see every week as we go through the book of Mark. I want you to get a sweeter glimpse and a closer picture of the Son of God. The Son of God. I was in a boat. I got 34 seconds. Look at me, everybody. Look at me. Look at me. I was in a boat with my brother. It's for daylight. We came out of the we came out of the inlet. We came out of the 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 he calls it breaking the rocks because there's jetty rocks that go out into the ocean, and once you break the rocks, you're out in the ocean. And we turned right and we was headed headed toward twelve A buoy. No, it was still it was still dark, and on this side was the brightest full moon you've ever seen. I mean, it was just incredibly bright. And, and as we're riding toward 12A buoy, the, the, the bright moon is over here. And, 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 and as you look to the left, as you look to the left, you see, you see the sun and light starting to peak over the horizon. And, and if you look at two o'clock, two o'clock this way, there's a storm brewing over Palm Beach and there is, there is heat lightning. How many of y'all know when I say heat lightning? And it just lights up the sky. I mean, it is incredible. It'll just flash and it'll cover the whole sky. So here I am. I'm, I'm riding in this boat and, and, and over here, I've got a picture of the moon just so brilliant. And then at two o'clock, there is, there is a storm that's just, just heat lightning flashing ever, just such an incredible, and it made me, brother Doug, it made me think of, of Mount Sinai. 
when God came down to Mount Sinai and, and the Bible says the whole mountain was covered with lightning and flashing and the cloud. And then as, as the, the, the daylight started coming and, and, and sunrise and man, that sun started coming up and it, I, I just stood there. I just stood there in awe thinking how in the world could somebody believe there's no God? How in the world could somebody see this and not believe that there's a God? And man, I started thinking about John. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Preacher, what are you saying? Just a few things. Number one, if you're a helper, be proud of that. Listen, you're important. You don't have to sing a song. You don't have to preach a sermon. You don't have to teach a class. If you're helping Listen, to get the gospel out. You say, well, preacher, I'm not, I'm not out there preaching sermons. If you're watching a baby so their mama could come and hear the gospel without being harassed. Hello? If you hold the door open to show someone they're cared about and loved and appreciated to come in, you're important. If you mess up, if you mess up, it's okay. Get over it. Get over it. Listen, look up somebody. Look up somebody that's doing well. Look up somebody that's going the right way. The, one, the worst thing you can do, I'm just going to throw this in because I'm out of time. Don't, don't go hang out with people that are still in their mess up. Are y'all with me? If you find somebody that has messed up, make sure they're recovered. Are y'all with me? Say amen. And as we go through this book, I want y'all to see Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of God. Amen. And all God's people say it.